Hello, everybody, and welcome to Creativity Lives Here, a podcast designed to support you with tapping into your peak creative potential through eye-opening conversations and inspiring solo casts. And welcome to episode 18. And welcome to 2021. This is the first episode of the year. And it's interesting, I was on Instagram stories this morning, and I was talking about how the energy really feels different for me this year in comparison to last year. Last year felt very heavy and dense in many ways. And this year, even though we're only a few days into it, already feels so much lighter. And it's interesting because a lot of other people have shared that they feel the same way. So I'm feeling excited about this year. I have a sense that there's a lot of beautiful things coming. And I'm really happy that I get to start off the year with today's episode because it is just so rich and inspiring. I had so much fun speaking with today's guest. She shared so beautifully about her journey. Her name is Melissa Bloom, and she is the founder of The Sisters Bloom, which is a sustainable stop-motion animation studio. She's also the co-founder of Lane and Lene, which is a fine jewelry and home goods company, which she created together with her sister. And she's also a writing coach and yoga teacher at The Mindful Writer. And I'll include links to all of those endeavors in the show notes below. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the concept of stop motion animation, even though you've probably seen stop motion films before, stop motion content, it's essentially the practical art form of moving elements in front of a camera frame by frame and stringing those together to get a moving image. So some examples that you might be familiar with are Nightmare Before Christmas, Wallace and Gromit, Fantastic Mr. Fox, or a film called Anomalisa. And unless people are being animated, the stop-motion process requires creating puppets and sets and props and other elements to create the animated world, which often results in a process that can be quite wasteful and harmful to the environment which is why Melissa was inspired to start her company, The Sisters Bloom, which is all about slowing down and creating new ways to create animations that produce minimal waste and are not harmful to humans or the environment. And when I first learned about what Melissa was doing, I immediately sensed that she'd be an amazing guest to have on the show. I just love it when people challenge the way things are being done in their industry and have the courage to explore new approaches. 
And that's exactly what Melissa has done with her animation studio. In addition to talking with Melissa about her work with the studio in today's conversation, we just get really deep into her creative journey. And I just have the sense that for all of you, there'll be parts of her story that really strike a chord. So some of the other things that we talk about are what it's like to suddenly question the path that you've chosen, how it's okay to take a step backwards sometimes, the importance of taking baby steps if you have a big vision, and what it's like to carve out your creative path on your own terms. I have to say that re-listening to this conversation when I was editing it filled me with so many creative juices, and I have a sense that it's going to have the same effect on many of you. And it's also my longest episode yet, but I really didn't want to cut anything out of this conversation. I just feel that everything that Melissa shares is really so valuable. And one of the reasons I was inspired to create a podcast is because it lends itself really well to long-form content and really diving deep. So I'm just really excited to share the entirety of this interview, this conversation with you. Um, because it's such a long one, I encourage you to get cozy, maybe pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee or tea. And let's dive into this wonderful conversation with Melissa Bloom. I'm one of the lucky ones who had a very encouraging family and mom who um, had creativity, you know, infused in our childhood. Like, you know, I have vivid memories of we'd be at dinner and my mom would take out like a little packet of clay or little like crayons and paper. Like we always had something to do when like, you know, you were in an adult setting and needed to be a good little girl, you know, and, um, you know, to this day, like we'll be at restaurants and well, not this year, but we'll be at restaurants and um, my mom will be like, oh, they need, they need a craft. <laughs> they just need a craft. Cause we'll see like so kids like freaking out at a table. They're just <laughs> so bored. <laughs> so that's a really lovely me memory I have from childhood. And um, as well as like, you know, coming home after school and always doing homework first, but then we'd like sit on the driveway with all the neighborhood kids and like make bracelets or there was always just something to do. And I've always been used to using my hands. And um, I think it instilled in me from a young age, this idea of, oh, you can just, you can be interested in doing something and then you can learn how to do it. And then you know how to do that thing. And then you can incorporate that into what else you do. So um, I call it skill building. And for a long time, I felt like I skill builded forever and just kept learning new things. And I was like, when is this going to like culminate into something? How do these things fit together? Um, but anyway, I can talk more about that later because I think it's more informative when I actually get into my career. But um, so basically, yes, very creatively um, encouraged childhood and um, then, you know, in high school, when you're starting to try to think about what do you want to do with your life, you have to take the SATs and, you know, figure out what kind of college you want to go 
to and what you want your career to be at like 16 years old, which now I'm like, that's just kind of nuts that we do that to kids, you know? Um, I agree with you. (laughs) But again, at the time, I actually had a big transformation in high school too, because I, um, going back to skill building in eighth grade, I moved schools and um, they like looked at my transcripts and I had like all A's and I, you know, was taking all the classes I had to take. And, and this advisory, this person was like, well, she needs an advisory class. And like, this girl looks like she needs to have fun. So I'm going to put her in cheer advisory, which is like the farthest thing from what I ever thought I'd do ever. Um, but lo and behold, I became a cheerleader and I, you know, it's, it's funny looking back. I'm like, okay, well, it's because I got to like learn new things. So I had to learn chants and I had to learn cheers and I had to learn new um, dance moves and I had to learn how to lift a girl in the air and I had to learn how to do a, you know, a back handspring. Like there were all these really cool physical things I had to learn how to do with my body. And that was fascinating to me for a while um, until the summer before my junior year, I just got so burnt out and I was like, what am I doing? Like I need to focus on college I need to focus on like what I'm doing after high school. And that was when I realized I loved film. And um, I had a friend who was already at Loyola Marymount University, a really close family friend. And he, um, he told me about this program at Northwestern University where you can go the summer before um, senior year and take a film program. So I did that. Um, and it was so fun. And I met, you know, people, kids from all around the country um, who all wanted to do film, um, some of whom I ended up going to college with. So it was really special. It was the first time I was like, wow, there's there's this world outside of like the high school, um, you know, hometown thing. Like, you know, we grow up and we're in our parents' lives. We're in the lives of our community that we can actually like tangibly see in front of us. Like, we don't see other ways of living um, at that time. So that was the first time I was like, wow, like there's other cities and there's people who like what I like. And um, that was very exciting for me. So I was totally set on the path of wanting to do film from that point on. Um, But I think, you know, in my head, I'm like films creative. Like I watched Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and all these amazing like fantasy movies where they were like literally creating these worlds, building these worlds. And um, so when I went to college at USC, um, I started taking film classes and uh, I soon found, I was like, well, I must want to do production design because production design is like, that's the most creative thing you could do in film. Right. So I take a production design class and I'm like, well, you know, that, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. That wasn't quite as creative as I thought, which is strange. Maybe I need to be more hands-on in art direction. Cause those are the people building, right? Those are the people taking the production designers vision and they're building things. They're dressing the set. So then I worked on a graduate level film, um, and was art directing under the production designer. And <laughs> it was just, so tiring and so thankless and so non-creative. I have this memory of like, there was a scene, this is another thing. It's so funny with like continuity in a film and what people don't think about. Like there was a scene where there was like a wicker chair that had to have a hole in it for whatever happened. But then there was another scene where there was the wicker chair like put together with no hole in it. And they filmed them in the order, which meant we had to re- 
reweave a wicker chair. Oh <laughs> no. Doing that, I did. <laughs> so, you know, just very weird things where you're like, am I being creative or am I just running myself into the ground? So, you know, by now I was getting nervous. I was like, I don't know if I want to be a filmmaker. Like what is filmmaking? <laughs> you know, I don't want to hold the camera. Um, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to do directing and, you know, the more I went down the list, I was like, what can I do in film? Like, am I in the wrong major? And that's when I found animation. Um, so, you know, the nice thing about our school, especially is like you, you had quite a bit of freedom to take um, elective courses. And most of the time you could get into the class you wanted to get into, you know, within reason. I won't say always because I had a couple times and a couple very rude teachers that, you know, I won't get into that. <laughs> But um, I'm sure you know. So anyway, um, I took just a basic animation class where you're like doing a little stop motion, a little like learning after effects in the computer, like kind of a little of of the the basic principles and everything that kind of makes up the foundation of animation. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is this is what I want to do. But I was kind of far enough into my major where it like, I think I I actually did apply for the animation major and the woman, the sweet woman who, who I took this class from, she was like, I saw your application and I actually think you should do the minor. Um, And I put your name in the pile for the minor because that makes more sense for your, you know, your degree and what you're doing. And so that was like, just that actually was so wonderful of her. Um, that woman's name was Trixie. That's what we called her. I actually don't know. I don't remember her full name and I don't know if she's still there, but she was just so nice. And it really does make a difference having good teachers because I had a, an art teacher in high school. And I just remember, um, <laughs> I remember this day, like, you know, in high school, I was like 15, 16 years old. I don't even think that like you're allowed to take real art classes at that age. Cause you're a minor. And I just remember I was drawing a picture of like a guy in a tree, like a storybook picture. And she leaned over my shoulder and she said, you know, Melissa, you should really consider taking a figure drawing class. And then she walked away. <laughs> and <I'm> wow. Like, <laughs> I actually I had similar experiences in high school. So I totally get what you're talking about. And I was like, OK, well, yeah, I know I'm you know, at 15, 16 years old, I have skills to build within art. Um, I would love to take a figure drawing class. Please let me know if you know of one. (laughs) Anyway, so it's like, you know, I think something that I'm a huge advocate of is like, is encouraging kids are so malleable. And I think that sometimes, you know, now I'm 31, like I'm a full adult. I have to admit that to myself. And I'll be in situations where I'll see little kids or I'll interact with them. And I'm now very aware of, of what I put on them and, and how I talk to them or what I say to them. Or if like the other day I was on a walk by the beach and there was a little boy, so cute, tiny little boy. And he skidded on the sand and I, I put my hand out to stop him. And he, luckily he didn't fall anyway. I would have caught him if he had, but I had, I was like, wow, energetically, I hope I didn't put fear into him because I thought he would fall over. Um, He could have cracked his head, like who knows. And so I just like made sure I like kind of let that go and like let him know he was okay. But 
Um, but yeah, I think a lot about that because, um, have you heard of a book called the artist's way? Yeah, I have actually have not read it yet, but I have heard of it. You, you should. So, um, so that book was actually given to me in high school by my dad's cousin, who's a, a pianist. He was on Broadway. He's, he's a really neat man. His name's David Geist. Um, and he gave it to me in high school and I was like, well, thank you. And, you know, it is, it is Christian based. Um, so like it talks about God so that, you know, I think that some people, especially spiritual people or even, you know, I was, I was raised Jewish, like, um, which, you know, for me, I, it didn't matter to me either way, but I do like to mention that because sometimes people get off put by someone mentioning God and how they're talking about creativity. But, um, but essentially the, the book is this really amazing workbook for people who, um, who didn't really get that nurturing, that creative nurturing as children or even into adulthood and who know they have that in them. And and it's just like killing them. They want to get it out. And she's created this amazing program. Her name's Julia, Julia Cameron, I believe. And she's created this workbook program to help you work through all of that conditioning. That's not you and to basically find that creative you. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm glad I mentioned it. You should definitely check it out. Even if you don't fully, you know, do the entire workbook, you can just kind of skim it and see what resonates. Um, but I did that. In the, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit because I actually, I got that book in high school from my dad's cousin, but I didn't do that until I was, I think, 23 um, and starting to question where I was in my career, but um, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't have to be linear. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so going back to college. Um, so the doors to animation opened for me. That was very exciting. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but one day, um, you know, you check in with your advisor before every semester. And right before I was going to meet with my advisor, I literally ran into a poster, a flyer on the wall or on the door of this building before I walked in that was for a stop motion puppet making class. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, is that a thing? Like, I I knew stop motion kind of, but like, um, I hadn't really delved much into it. And I was like, puppet making, like, oh my gosh, that sounds incredible. So I took the flyer to my advisor and he was like, sure, you know, it's graduate level. So you just like fill this form out and drop it off at this office and they'll get back to you in a few days. And um, I was like, okay. So sure enough, they approved me. um, And that was really exciting. So that, you know, I I am, I'm very grateful in some ways to USC um, for just how they, they did have a great system in place sometimes for you to to have opportunities that that were kind of outside of the rules and I yeah. love I love that there was that nurturing there. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually had a similar experience with it. Oh good. <laughs> yeah. So um so yeah, so I signed up for that class. It was led by a woman named Rachel Johnson who actually went on to make um a beautiful short film that I believe got an honorary mention at last year's Oscars or the Oscars before. Um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the full name, but I know the name of the character was Henrietta Bulkowski or something to that extent. And I actually, in my early career, before I got my first job, I, I helped her with some of like the concept pieces 
um, for that film. It took her so many years to make it. It was so beautiful. It was a piece of art, but um, we worked on these, um, these trash mounds, literally like taking styrofoam mountains and like gluing in like dollhouse pieces and little tiny pieces of trash bags. And like, I think they ended up, um, they ended up doing it digitally, I believe, like making one or two and then duplicating it um, digitally, which, um, you know, looking back on that time was probably smart. (laughs) But, um, but anyway, so she was amazing. I can't remember who she studied under, um, but she had training from um, the Czech Republic from Prague, which they're majorly known for their puppetry. Um, Really? Yeah. So I'm trying to think, I don't know why I forget the name of, um, of the big company out there. But um, if I remember, I'll have to, I'll have to share later. Um, But so she had a really neat background and she um, took this position for, you know, stop motion at USC. And um, I believe the animation program was really still building when I, um, when I was there. And when I know that my year, we were um, year to the graduating class of 2011 our year was the first year, freshman year, that they opened the animation major to undergrads. So, oh wow, yeah. So, um, so it's grown so much since then. Obviously, there's a whole new building <laughs> that we watched be erected. Um, but yeah, so so that was special because I think things were still being formulated at the time. So I feel very lucky that um, that I got to kind of experience that on the sidelines. But so that class, um, unfortunately, many of the graduate students um, were very tired and overwhelmed with their work and didn't have time to fully, um, you know, be present in this class and fully finish their puppets. But Mm -hmm. this was the most exciting part of my junior year. (laughs) So I was literally like making this puppet at every second I could. Um, you know, we literally did it from, you know, the sketch to, um, I forget what it's called, but like you, you, you like sculpt it on this like, um, maquette thing. And then you have to mold and cast the, 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 all the, like the body parts, the head, the arms, the body, um, we made our own ball and socket armatures. So, um, quick interlude about that for anybody who doesn't really know about stop motion, but an armature is um, what allows the puppet to move. And in most cases, it can just be made out of aluminum wire and steel wire. Um, But uh, the pros, like there's McKinnon and Saunders in the UK, like if you're thinking of companies like Leica, who makes like um, Paranorman, Coraline, all those movies, like think of Fantastic Mr. Fox, like those puppets have ball and socket armatures. And that's literally like rods and um, like steel rods and and, and metal um, little like metal ball bearings that are all soldered together to make um, the body parts and they like the the joints can all move. So um, I don't know. Rachel was very ambitious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm grateful to her. I still to this day, I don't think that I could just like get all the equipment and like make that right now. Because Bala, you need equipment. Like we were literally soldering with a blowtorch and like oh, wow. in, in the old music building with carpeted floor. 
Oh, wow. Luckily, they tore that down. So that that was my incentive when we were working there. I was like, this is a fire hazard, but I know that this building's being torn down soon. So like, I felt okay (laughs) about it. (laughs) So that was a great memory. I, I did end up basically finishing my puppet from beginning to end in that class. There were a couple other undergraduate students in there too, but I think I was the only non-animation major taking the class. And um, to this, not to this day, but I'll say several years after college, I would get emails from peers and people who were like, hey, like, can you, um, can you, I have this person who's considering applying to the animation program at USC, like, can you tell them about your experience? And I'm like, sure, but you know, I wasn't an animation major, so I can't really like, (laughs) I can't really tell them like everything they want to know, but I know people they can talk to. So um, I do, I feel very, very lucky for that. Um, And that is something about me in general. Like if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And, you know, I'm, Again, I'm not going to take full credit for that. I'm very lucky. The family support I've had in my life, my sister, my parents, um, especially my mom. But, um, but you know, the more someone says, you can't do that, the more I'm going to be like, hmm, well, I'm going to figure out how I can because I want to. So, and again, if it's not something I don't want to do and you tell me I can't, well, I'll be like, well, sure, I don't, that's fine. <laughs> but if it's something I really want to do, I'm going to find a way to do it. So, um So yeah, um, let me think of what, oh, okay. So from there, from taking this puppet course, um, Rachel had so much knowledge about the industry and she was the one that told me like, you can get an internship in stop motion. And at the time I had an internship for a film producer and um, I did, I did keep that internship all through from summer after sophomore year through college and beyond Um, and then I did, I worked on him with, uh, with him on a film in college. And then I worked with him, assisting him on a film a couple years after, but, um, so I'm, I'm lucky too. And I, I kind of got to have a foot in different areas. I didn't get stuck in one place. Um, which was nice. Cause I think again, you know, you go to college at barely 18. I think I was 17 when I moved into the dorms and you get four years to like, get a degree in something you hope you love <laughs> and then you graduate and you can either say, shoot, I messed up. Let me apply to grad school. <laughs> or you can say, well, <laughs> this is what I chose to do. So here I go. Um, so, um, so in that respect, I feel lucky that I got kind of the, the mainstream film route alongside this like very niche animation route um, where I did get an internship at a little studio called Buddy System Studios at the time. And they were just a little warehouse space in Burbank. Um, I still remember my interview. I wore like this weird, like collared black button up dress with like patent leather shoes and like my hair, like very tightly back in a ponytail. And I like show up there. I don't know why I even thought that was an outfit. I looked like I was going to the funeral. (laughs) And, um, and all the guys, there's like five guys and they're all in jeans and t-shirts and like covered in like, well, not all of them. One of them's like covered in sawdust. And, um, (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I think that they got a very weird impression of me (laughs) when I first showed up, but, um, 
the man who interviewed me, Mario de Jesus, um, bless his heart. I sat him down. Well, he sat me down and I was like, I will do whatever I have to do (laughs) to get this. I was like, you give me this and I will work so hard for you guys. And I think that he vouched for me, even though everybody was kind of like, I'm not sure if she's the right fit. (laughs) So, um, so yes, thank you, Mario. (laughs) And if um, you ever listen to this, (laughs) (laughs) I'll let him know. Um, but yeah, so, so that was my love phase, honestly. Um, I was still, so let me paint this picture by my senior year of college I was taking, you know, I think, what is it like, like five classes for all the electives you have to take. Um, I was take, I had two internships, one in stop motion and one for that movie producer. I was actually assisting him on a film. So I was driving to location multiple times a week um, outside of Los Angeles to different areas to be on set. Um, I was doing homework (laughs) Um, I basically had no social life. Um, yeah, that was my senior year was just, you know, one foot in this like super creative world. I would go a few times a week and just like have this like incredible creative like time, like learning from this man, John Sumner, who um, who did uh, the sets and puppets. And he's he's an incredible to this day, just incredible, um, you know, a character designer, set designer. He actually showed me how much you can do with cardboard and hot glue. Um, it, it, you can do a lot. I actually refuse. I refuse to use hot glue anymore. I've learned a lot more about that. But um, but anyway, so he. I was kind of his protege at the time, and then um, the owners were um, John Harvatine and Eric Towner. And what was really cool is just, you know, there was about, there was this man, Ethan Merrick, who animated, like everybody had a role and they had, uh, they hired people in and out depending on the project. And there were other interns besides me, but I got so lucky that this environment was so nurturing and that you really like, you know, you got to help who needed help. And, you know, you got to see the process unfold from inception through production and into post-production. Like I got to see how the entire process of stop motion worked and with these very down to earth people. And um, yeah, that, that was why I fell in love. And that was the difference. Like, you know, my experience with um, the movie producer, the nicest man, his name is John Gordon, the nicest man in the industry. Honestly, he could not have been better to me. Um, But I remember, I remember working on, on that film with him and, um, being so afraid to tell him I had another internship. (laughs) I was like afraid that I was like betraying him (laughs) and that he'd be upset with me. But what's so funny is he became one of my greatest champions, even when um, I assisted him on, on the film after college, Um, he knew I was going to go back to stop motion and, and he'd introduce me and he'd say, this is Melissa, this is my assistant, but, but she actually, she actually works in stop motion animation. She actually makes puppets. (laughs) Oh, how sweet. Yeah. So, you know, I, I am incredibly lucky for the people who I met and, um, you know, the network I was able to build and who I was able to work with. Um, but there's a whole other side to this story of, um, you know, I, I've always been very career oriented and, um, 
it's, it's easy for me to, you know, taking steps. Hey, I want that. Let me go find out how to get there. Great. I got there. That's easy. Um, it's it, the, the flip side of that is what am I sacrificing in my life to get there? How many times am I going to burn out? How sick am I going to get? Um, who, you know, what, what social life am I putting aside? Um, you know, am I, am I going to not see family for a while because I'm just not going to come home from LA because I'm too busy in my career. So, you know, there, there's a lot of, there were a lot of aspects that started coming up, you know, after my early twenties, about 23, 24, where I had my dream job. Um, you know, I didn't mention that buddy systems, um, they, um, they ended up getting when they were um, Matt Senreich and, and Seth Green were shopping around a show called Robot Chicken. Have you heard of Robot Chicken? I heard about it after I read your questionnaire oh. <laughs> and looked it up. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let me for for anyone who doesn't know, um, Robot Chicken is a show on um, Adult Swim, which is um, a faction of Cartoon Network, and it is an incredibly long running show. I want to say there's like eleven or twelve seasons at this point. Um, when I learned about it, I think they were going into season six and, um, it is basically, it started very crude. It started with like, it started with literally like action figures that were like cut up with like little pieces of wire. So that actually, I think it started just with action figures being animated with no armatures at whatsoever. And, um, you can still find those episodes online and they're hilarious to watch. Um, but basically, um, that transformed into literally like full puppets with armatures and full sets behind them and, you know, full costumes and like, like amazing, like beautiful artistry, artistry now goes into Robot Chicken. Um, and it's basically sketch comedy. So, um, you know, I believe each episode, I can't remember if they're, if they're, 20 minute episodes or, or I remember the number 11. So I can't remember if they're like 11 minutes, but there's commercials and whatever, and it makes up a half hour. I don't remember, but basically it's just very, very short vignettes. Most of them crude, most of them, like the farthest thing that I'd ever think of in my mind, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but you know, but very, um, you know, talented, incredible people working on it. Hilarious writers, um, you know, very, very smart comedy smart parody I think that we always joke they're protected under parody law because um (laughs) you know we have to literally like like my some of my favorite things were like I would um my head of department I was in puppet department I guess I'm getting ahead of myself again but oh well (laughs) I feel like when I wrote I wrote the thing to you like when you're like tell me about your path I'm like it was like so perfectly linear and now I'm talking and I'm like oh gosh I wrote that you know this is this is three times before that one. So (laughs) forgive me. Um, but, uh, what was I saying? So, so yes, I guess going backwards for a second, I did have to eventually, even though my love phase of stop motion involved seeing the entire process and getting to help with everything. Um, I had, when they got robot chicken, there we go. That's where that was coming full circle too. Um, <laughs> when they got robot chicken, um, I was told like, Hey, Melissa, we're finally going to be able to hire you full time, but you need to decide where you fit, like decide what you, what department you want to be in. And here's your options. So, you know, at the time I knew, you know, if we're being perfectly honest, this always cracks people up, but 
animation is not my favorite thing to do within animation. <laughs> it's, um, it's very tedious. Um, there's so many principles behind it. It's something that does take a lot of practice to get very good at. Um, every sing- there's no formula. So, well, there is, but to an extent, there's a foundation. But I'd say that every animator has to find their own way and their own style, just like a director will have to find their own style to make a film. So if it doesn't interest you to sit and have, you know, today I'm going to make someone jump, but this isn't just anyone. This is like an old lady. And tomorrow I'm going to make someone jump, but I'm going to make a little kid jump. And he's only, you know, three feet tall. And so, you know, you have to embody, you're, you're becoming an actor. Um, You're, you're contending with the laws of physics. Um, You are, um, you're being very patient. (laughs) Um, there's just so many aspects to animation. And I think that when, when someone says, Oh yeah, I love animation. I want to do that. The first thing they think of is animating, but, um, but across (laughs) mediums, that means different things. Once you get into it, it it means just, you know, it's, I have so much respect for the animators I do know. And when I see their work, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like they do this all like they'll post videos of like how they're sitting in the hallway and like, like acting out what their character is going to do or the directors there with them trying to show them what it'll look like. And it's like, they sit there in the hallway and they do the same move, you know, 50 times before they go into their stage and they go animate it. So, you know, Oh yeah, totally whole, whole different kind of respect for them. But, um, but I knew that was probably not going to make me happy (laughs) to sit in a dark (laughs) stage space all day and just like try and move something and then have it, you know, (laughs) the eyebrow fall off and have to put the (laughs) eyebrow back on and figure out where it went and make sure that I didn't have to start over. So, (laughs) wow, these are things you wouldn't, I mean, when you watch the finished product, you would never even think that this is part of the process, but of course. And, you know, on, on a show like Robot Chicken, there's a lot of grace and um, something really special about it, I think, is that a lot of entry level animators get a chance to like, you know, show their stuff and have this, you know, animate on this TV show because um, it can be a little more crude, like um, Robot Chicken, they usually average about 10 seconds of animation per day per animator. So that sounds like nothing, (laughs) but that's actually a lot. So um, when I say that, it means they're shooting on twos. So instead of taking one picture in one position, they're taking two pictures in that position. So it's a little more choppy. Um, Ones are usually reserved for feature films um, or if you're trying to accomplish a specific smooth look. So it depends, but you can shoot on ones, twos, or threes generally. And threes, no one, and I'm not going to say no one does that. Most people don't do that. Um, it just looks very choppy. So, um, so anyway, so yes, 10 seconds of animation a day is actually a lot. Um, I'd say feature films probably are more like, like five seconds a day. And I, I honestly don't know. I think some, depending on a shot, it could be like three seconds. It could be seven. Like, I don't really know, but I know it's about five. Like you, you really don't expect, um, too much (laughs) because it needs to look pristine, you know? Yeah. So, so that's fun about animation, but I knew that I did not want to do that every single day. (laughs) Um, and because I was being nurtured by, um, 
by the, by John Sumner, this man who did sets and I learned puppet making from him props. Um, it really came down to set department and puppet department. And, um, I think what ultimately did it for me, I had a couple like strange experiences with power tools. Like I got kicked back from a table saw and I had this weird Mm. rectangular shaped bruise on my stomach for like a month. And there were just like a few experiences with, with power tools that like I was, I was not, I no, I will say I wasn't comfortable using them every day. I, it was very physically taxing it. it, You have, you have to be on, Um, there's lots of dust and, you know, sawdust, all the stuff that comes with these big tools you have to clean up. Like it just, it didn't interest me in the way it interested me to like sit down at a desk and just like work on a little scale of making puppets. So, (laughs) so I ultimately like as, as hard as that was, honestly, because I love John Sumner and I knew I'd work under him. And I had another friend who she and I had worked on some side projects together and I loved it, but I just knew that I had to go with what made sense for like, for who I am and how I operate. So, um, so yeah, I chose puppets and it ended up being an incredible decision because um, I worked with like, I want to say it was there like 11 of us. It it was a very small crew. um, And um, our, our leader, our head of department, Tennessee Norton, he played ukulele. So at lunchtime, He would teach us how to play ukulele, <laughs> which I think he did on a lot of his productions at other studios. We we were not the first, but um, but that was really special because again, it was a new skill for me to build. It was a way to bond with the people I was working with. Um, so yeah, that was special, and um, we just we had a great time. I will say that was to this day. We will have like a text thread. Um, we did a Zoom call during during the lockdowns, like it's just, it there, it's just so fun to reconnect with those people from that time because it was very special and like nothing I've ever experienced again or before that, um, of just, you know, very, a very special and loving group where creativity was just flowing through our department every day. There was humor. Um, you know, we just, we just all like got each other and we all just like banded together to make these puppets and, Um, yeah, so it was really special. And, um, I think I was going to say this about the puppets. So my head of department, the thing about robot chicken was you were parodying everything. So he was very smart in how he would assign us a puppet assignments because each, each week I'd say we had like at least eight puppets to build. It might've been more than that. It depended. Um, and so like, I would get like the Harry Potter puppets or, I remember one time there was a Game of Thrones sketch and I was listening to one of the Game of Thrones books. Um, I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't read Game of Thrones, but a very prominent character is poisoned. And and I was literally stitching up his costume, his puppet's costume, as I was listening to this scene of him being poisoned. (laughs) So there's just all these very meta things that were just so weird that happened that were so cool. Um, so yeah, that was a very special experience. And honestly, I feel like in my early twenties, I was much more in that phase of, um, wow, like starstruck, like how cool is this? Like celebrities are walking through the halls who just did a voiceover and, you know, like, like I'm making this cool puppet from this show I love. And, you know, there were just 
and and also there was a lot of validation and reinforcement from people outside of that where I'd say I was a puppet maker and their jaw would drop and they'd say, Oh my gosh, that's the coolest job I've ever heard in my life. And, you know, I didn't get that reaction when I say I assisted a producer, I didn't get that reaction. Like, you know, just saying I was in film or, you know, like you, you, it was this very specific reaction that, that I, I did, I fed off of it for a while because that at the time was important to me. Um, this validation that what I was doing was cool or what I was doing, like other people wanted to do. And, um, you know, it's funny, I don't feel that way anymore, (laughs) but, um, but it's good to look back and see that that's, that's where I was at, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, I was in a similar place in my early twenties. I think it's quite common at that age. Um, you definitely seek out validation from the outside. And hopefully as you grow older and wiser, you begin to realize that that's not the only thing that counts. (laughs) Yes. I've (laughs) learned that in a very big way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so I, I, I know I'm like, wow, I'm still on my story, but (laughs) let me keep going. Um, I think your story is so beautiful and there's just so many beautiful <laughs> things that are coming out of it. So, so please keep going in, in all the glorious detail. <laughs> okay. So I'd say, like I said, around 23 or so, um, I, I would go to work. I would sit at my desk. I would listen to my audiobooks and make puppets and, um, I would go home and have dinner and go to sleep and then go to work the next day and do the same thing. And, um, it was still fun. I still had some really cool projects. I started meeting some cool people, new directors. I started making different things than I was used to making. Um, and, and one day, well, there, there was a flip side to this too. That, that was the routine. And then the opposite when I, I I'm a creature of habit, I love routine, but the opposite flip side of that was um, there's always hiatuses from projects. And that means anywhere from one week to a whole year, you don't get called back to that studio for work again. So yeah, it's very unstable. So, um, so, you know, a lot of people will go to another studio and they'll find work or they'll just be freelance for a while. And, you know, where, where, um, you know, I didn't mention, so buddy systems turned into stupid buddy studios and that's, that's what it's called today. So where they're at now, I'd say they, they have very, they have much smaller hiatuses and they, um, they do their best to keep their core people and, and keep them on board. And, you know, that's amazing. I love that. But, um, Early on, you know, I was the young one. I was the youngest person in our department other than the interns. And, you know, of course I had a lot to learn, but I still, I had a certain skill set and I knew I was good at it. But, um, but I was not the first person called back when they needed help and when they couldn't have a full crew. And um, that was hard for me because I was very loyal to them. I wanted to work for them, not other studios. Um, And at the end of the day, you know, it came down to what made sense for my department. It came down to what made sense for the projects. And that was nothing against me. It was just how how it happened. And so, you know, in some ways, the hiatus was cool because I either got to take a trip 
or um, could come see my family. Or, you know, like I said, I got to work on on a feature film assisting a producer. Like that was amazing. Um, I got to live in Boston for a few months. Um, you know, it, it's, it was great that in my career I could, I could take these interludes and do something completely different than I was used to. Um, but even on that film, I was like, man, I just, I just want to be making puppets and I can't do that right now. And, you know, that, that was good reinforcement. But then when I got back and was like, wow, I'm back. They hired me back. This is what I want. (laughs) That was when I was like, wait, is this what I want? Because every day was the same and I didn't feel like I was growing anymore. And even if I got a harder build job or, um, you know, what, what have you, I would go visit my friend in set department, or I would go talk to my animation friend. And I just like, it was actually, I should mention it was in a whole other building at this company. So if I wanted to go to set to like bring a puppet or, you know, talk to someone I knew in a different department, I actually had to cross a whole building in between our two buildings just to go say hi to someone Um, or, you know, obviously I was working, bringing puppets, whatever I was doing. So, you know, that was hard too, because I loved my department, but I'm someone like people would ask me, they'd be like, Melissa, who's the new person? Who's the new person in sets? Like I knew the people who came in. I knew people in other departments. I've never wanted to like be stuck in one little tiny area. So, you know, I wanted the diversity of the whole production process. And the more time that went on in my twenties, the more I realized that at a big studio, you're not going to get that. And that was hard um, because there wasn't really anything that anybody there could do for me. (laughs) Um, I considered talking to my, I did, I talked to my head of department and he, I, I, you know, at the time I was like, I think I need more responsibility. So he gave it to me and that was great. And that did make me um, be able to go to the other building more and interact with more people but then I was just tired because then I was just running back and forth between buildings all day and then also trying to build puppets. So I started becoming creatively drained rather than like fulfilled and challenged. So, you know, and I was like, well, should I talk to my high up bosses? But like, what are they going to do for me? Like, do I want to be on the production side and assist someone? And then I'm not doing anything creative at all. Do I want to switch to sets and then be with the big power tools and then I'll get hurt. Do I want to, you know, I don't want to animate. I just, I, the same thing that happened to me in college with film. I was like, what I'm stuck. I, I see this roof. I don't know what direction to go. And that just threw me into a crisis. I was like, I'm at my dream job literally making it in every sense of the word that someone would think of in Hollywood. And I was starting to be miserable. So that was the first tipping point. (laughs) And um, honestly, it went downhill for a long time from there, just in a mental headspace and in a place of, of life purpose. I felt like I had lost it. And I had no idea, no matter what creative thing I did, I I had no idea how to find that feeling again. And, and, and I didn't have anything to build to, I, I, I didn't have the vision. And so I think, you know, that was the beginning of my priorities shifting. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is a good time to actually shift gears out of career for a little bit, because 
what was happening in the background was um, my sister was getting um, very sick. She, she and I lived together. She moved in with me my senior year of college. Um, she had graduated and come to move in with me. She was going to go to makeup school. And, you know, so she, she had wanted to live in LA anyway and had gone to school in Arizona. So she was happy to move in. I honestly was sewing over my head with internships and school and all that. I was just like, sure. Sounds great. Um, and um, so, so yeah, she moved in with me and she was, she was two years older than me. So, um, you know, early twenties getting into mid twenties and she, I'd say like a couple years, I'd, I'd say every year we lived together, she got a little worse and it was like hormonal issues, um, autoimmune issues. You know, you go to the doctor and they tell you, you have a thyroid problem, take this pill. So you start taking the pill and then, you know, a little more time goes by and you get more symptoms and they say, oh, let's do your blood work. Oh, you need this. And she just kept kind of slowly declining and getting new symptoms and, um, it got to the point where actually I totally believe that, that there's like, you know, whatever you call a spirit, the divine um, guides, like something else guiding us. And I think, you know, I, I was so early on in my spiritual journey, I wouldn't have caught this, but someone in my uh, department and puppets um, just one day starts talking about how she has, this, you know, this endocrine issue and she calls, she names it and she starts talking about her symptoms. And the more she's talking about this doctor she found who's helping her. And I was like, this sounds like my sister. So it was amazing. I was like, Hey, can I get your doctor's name? I have a friend who needs it. You know, I, I'm, I was trained, like you, you stay private about your family. You don't tell people, but I did eventually tell her it was for my sister, but at the time I was like, Oh, I don't know if like my sister would be okay with that. So anyway, so I was like, went home so excited. Like you should contact this doctor. This is so great. So we actually, um, we, uh, we both ended up going to this doctor cause I ended up being diagnosed with a thyroid issue as well. Like I knew something was off, but I didn't know what. Um, so ultimately though, this doctor was amazing. You know, she's operating within her capacity, helping, you know, people get pregnant who thought they couldn't, you know, so many things, but, you know, me and my sister were these young girls and didn't want to be pregnant yet. And, um, we're suffering, you know, especially her suffering these issues. And, um, you know, she tried more pills, more things like all these suggestions just kept making her worse. One pill in particular really put her over the edge and she couldn't get out of bed anymore. She was nauseous. All she could eat was like peanut butter. Like it was just, it got so bad. And, eventually this doctor, (laughs) this doctor was like, well, you're young and pretty. So, you know, my advice to you is to just basically live your life right now and go meet someone and like, don't worry about it. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) yeah. So she just felt crushed and just like hopeless. And like, there was nothing else to be done. And, um, you know, we had our regular internal doctor down in San Diego. And so she kept going to her and, you know, she started getting these weird symptoms and she's like, could, could my pills be responsible? And the doctor said no. <laughs> and then she went and researched online and found a whole slew of women saying that the same pill she was on was giving them the same symptoms. <laughs> so she stopped taking it. She leaned herself off of that one, but lo and behold, you know, not to get too much into this, but the point was, is that basically like 
everything we knew to be our lives began to kind of break down around us where all the things that worked, you know, everything that had led us to that point, it just, it all stopped working. And so long story short, because I know we only have so long for this podcast and we haven't even begun to talk about sustainability. Long story short, we were kind of slowly out of Los Angeles. Um, Our apartment literally started breaking down on us. We didn't know where else to move at that point. We were already across town away from all of our friends working from home at that point. Um, And so we just decided to move home with my parents in San Diego and take a beat. And that honestly was the best decision I think either of us could have made because it allowed her to start getting healthy. Um, It allowed me to realize that I was not as healthy as I thought. (laughs) I suddenly realized how many, um, how many toxins are around us daily um, from cleaning supplies to cooking supplies to what uh, the shampoo I'm using to, you know, my toothpaste to, you know, the food I'm putting in my body. Literally, I just started having this like healing, like health renaissance where I was able to start helping my sister heal. She found an amazing doctor down here who gave us more information. We found other holistic modalities down here. And, you know, I think I always knew San Diego was a place that had that stuff, but I really started to experience it and, and meet these people and see this other way of living. And it's funny because this year with, with COVID-19 and everything happening like that, it's crazy. We started this journey three or four years ago and I can't imagine having just started this year, everything we know and what we're doing and how overwhelming that would be because we were already overwhelmed. So it really does feel like we've been guided and I've been guided down this path of, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. And there has been one thing after the other, after the other. And I say this because I was in a very bad place for about five years and I, you know, I was happy. I lived my life. Like everything was fine, but I, (laughs) I didn't know my purpose here and I, I, and no creative work I did. I did writing and writing coaching. I helped my mom write a book. I, you know, I was doing, I I have a jewelry line with my sister. So creative. There were all these things that I was doing and I was happy to do them and they were fun, but I, I didn't ever, I didn't feel fulfilled. I, I, I don't know how to explain it other than that of just like, I was doing these things. I was learning new skills. I was being creative, but, but I didn't feel that they gave me a higher purpose. So it was very hard and it sought me to just keep seeking more knowledge. I started taking online classes and I read more books and I just, I took a yoga teacher training. Like I did everything I could to try to make sense of, of what was happening and why I couldn't just be creative and have that be enough. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something really important to touch on. I think there's the camp of people who live their lives and say, Oh, I'm just not a creative person. And then there's the camp of people who live their lives creatively, but have that feeling like I'm creative. I can, you know, I can write a book. I can make pottery. I can, you know, do all, see how two things can fit together and be something new, but why, what is this doing for someone? What is this doing for me? And that's really what I started to ask is, is 
you know, I wanted a well-rounded life in LA. I wasn't able to have that. I was running myself into the ground and getting tired, sick. And I'm glad I stepped away from there. And I, I had many years of sorting through, okay, is it stop motion? Is it animation? Is it the film industry? Is it my health? Is it the people I was around? Is it the area I lived in? Like I had to go through all of those questions of what is it that was, that made me repel from that? What is it that I like still? Can I have that again? And um, it took me until last year um, to get a yes. (laughs) And that was, um, very random. Again, I feel like a divine experience. I feel like sometimes we have friends or strangers who just say something to us and it's what we needed to hear. And um, there's no other explanation other than that, that we were meant to in that moment. And it needed to come through someone other than ourselves, you know, instead, not just a voice in our heads. Right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. in that moment, I was at my friend's, my pretty much my only friend down here. So funny. I like, I'll go to farmer's market. I have community, but my friends are all over the world. So (laughs) I do have one friend in San Diego who I've known since I was 13 years old and it was her birthday party. And, um, I, you know, her, I, I know some of her friends, I had just met this girl and we just, we were all talking and, and I don't even know how we got on the subject. I think the girl had just started work somewhere else. And, and I just randomly blurted like, well, I think I'd, I'd love to have a stop motion studio in San Diego one day. And I hadn't thought about it in a long time. I hadn't thought about stop motion in a while, but I had early on in my career thought, man, wouldn't it be great if this were in San Diego? But I always thought that was a pipe dream. It could never happen. And this girl looked at me and said, well, you should do it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I I know. And she said, no, you should do it now. And (laughs) wow, it hit me. It just hit me in that moment. And I went home after her birthday and I started researching stop motion in San Diego. (laughs) And I was like, what, how can I have that here? Even if I don't do it how I did before, like, what could I do to have it here? And it was, the, I, it was the first time I started opening up and telling like my mom and sister again that I wanted to do it and like just started making it a part of the conversation of my life again. And, um, you know, they were like, well, cool. So, you, you know, you should look into that. You should see how you could do it or see if someone's doing it down here. You know, like they were very encouraging. But I think, again, for them, it was kind of like, well, we don't know how that'll happen either. So... <laughs> So I did find two hits down here. One was a guy who it it just kind of looked like his website was sitting there and he hadn't done it in a long time. And I couldn't, and it was, it was like very small stuff for, and he seemed to have like some sort of nonprofit for animation. And it was just, it was very hard to gauge, like if he was someone worth contacting. And then the other one was a husband wife couple who had a boutique studio. And I noticed soon after I found them that they actually transitioned into doing um, 3d um, medical animations, like the people who make um, the models for like science videos and stuff. So I was like, okay, well that's out. (laughs) So very quickly, I was like, you know, if, if, if I, if I want this here, it it has to be me bringing it here. Um, And So the other side of that was, there's so many sides to all these things, but um, the learning more about health, I I already was getting more into this idea of like, 
living more sustainably, finding eco-friendly things, things that are, you know, non-toxic for our health, things that are non-toxic for the environment. I was getting into recycling. I would talk my mom's head off about getting a compost at their house. And she was like, no worms. Like, I don't want worms in my yard. I was like, no. So, so there was all these things I was already like nerding out over and trying to figure out how I could do them. And, um, you know, shopping at farmer's market with my own grocery bags, you know, going local, going pesticide free, organic, like, I already was having this big pull in my life to just simplify and come back to the earth and come back to, you know, um, as pure as possible, a life in the modern world, which I'm finding is even harder than I thought it would be. Um, (laughs) But lo and behold, my sister was healing, like, I was feeling better than ever. Um, you know, all these things were working and it was amazing to see. And, um, and I just was like, you know, if I'm going to do stop motion, I'm not going to be making it the way I was. I'm not going to be, you know, making styrofoam mountains and, you know, using paint that smells and glues and epoxies that are, you know, shouldn't soak into your skin. And, you know, all the things I had, like, cause I actually, I didn't mention this, but there were days, um, I would wake up after a week or a day at work where I was using something in the spray booth or, you know, someone was doing something at their desk across the room and there was just a smell all day. And I had a few times of, um, I would wake up literally dizzy under my eyes have this crazy smell, wake up, feel nauseous, go, you know, not to be graphic, but you know, I would be sick and I could, I was out the rest of the day, if not a few days, like I was out, my body was just working through something toxic. And that happened a few times to the point, actually to this day, like I can't, not that I think any human should honestly, but to each his own, I can't go on a roller coaster to this day. I can't, my, my vestibular sense is messed up from whatever happened in my system from that time period. So I experienced, you know, firsthand, like, you know, sit in a toxic environment, your body's going to take it in and your body's going to process it how your body knows how to, which means you're getting sick. So I knew for a long time, especially after removing myself from a toxic environment in a lot of ways, I knew that I couldn't just like go pop up to LA and take my old job back and be happy. Like that was done for me. So it really came down to deciding that my vision was to have a stop motion studio that was sustainable and non-toxic. And I, I started very small (laughs) looking up companies that had materials that I could potentially use. (laughs) So like I have an affiliate right now, um, they're called natural earth paints and they were actually the first company I found because I thought, okay, well, what materials do I need? And I was very concerned about acrylic paint because acrylic paint is petroleum based. If you throw it down the drain, it's very bad for the ocean. Um, There's, it's not good for you to really have it on your skin. Like it's, it's not good. And it's the most prolific, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's, it's like the most widespread paint out there right now, right? Other than oil paint, if you're a fine artist, but if you're not a fine artist, you're using acrylic paint and you're dumping it down the drain and you're throwing it away and you're getting it all over your skin and you're getting it on your clothes and that's going in the laundry. So there's all these aspects of just one of these things, one paint 
um, that I was like, well, that's somewhere to start. So I found this amazing company out of Oregon, I think um, Ashland, somewhere down below um, in Oregon, who make um, these pigments. You can buy these powdered pigments and use them however you want. And they have a line that's already kind of a powdered mix that you can just add water to. And then they have pure pigment that you can then add oil or, you know, make your own mix. So That was exciting because I started talking to them early on before I had a space, before I had, um, you know, anything in order (laughs) for my studio. I didn't have an animation table. I didn't have anything. I didn't even have a desk and a chair. Um, And I started talking to them and finding out more and seeing if I could get a wholesale account with them. And um, that was where I started. I was like, well, let me try some paint. (laughs) Let me see how the paint goes. And then we'll go from there. And um, that's been how this entire year has been. I think I finally put an order with them in March or April, like during the lockdown when I just was at my parents' house hanging out and making food. And I was like, what can I do? (laughs) Um, And um, I actually, it took me about six months to get an animation table made. And that's a down shooter, which means there's a camera mounted above The table has holes in it with glass so that you can put elements on the different planes of glass and they'll merge together in the camera to make um, to make a a little environment, a little scene. And you can animate any of those panes. Um, So that, you know, down shooters are hard to come by in the industry anyway. Generally, a studio hires someone in their set department to build that before they start shooting their project. And usually that's something you do and then it's, it's done and you just use it. Um, I had no employees, no, no set department, no, no people that I knew that lived in San Diego. So I asked my old bosses who connected me to a few people, one who I had worked with before, but he was so busy. And so it took him like three months just to tell me no. (laughs) And, um, and then, he gave me the name of someone who was like, yeah, I can do it. And we connected and and I got really excited about him and then lockdown hit. (laughs) And I was like, okay, we'll take care of your family and don't worry about me. (laughs) We'll figure it out. Um, And so I think it wasn't until June or July that I contacted him again and was like, Hey, remember me? Like I would really like to do this. (laughs) Can you help me? So he actually, yeah, it might've been June because basically we kind of were in talks for a while and I guess he had been doing other work, um, that he was able to do luckily, um, in a, in a workshop for someone alone. And it, that's, I'm so happy he was able to do that. But, um, but basically we started taking baby steps. So I was like, okay, this is a sustainable down shooter, which means you don't just go to home Depot and pick out some wood and some glue and start going. So, I had to research a reclaimed wood place and then he had to go to the reclaimed wood place, you know, make sure he could get the wood he needed. And then they had to cut it. And, you know, there's just, there were so many different aspects that, that went into this. And I was able to um, get a black paint from natural earth paints for him to paint it black with. I had to look up glass, which, you know, that was the hardest thing because I don't think like eco-friendly glass exists. (laughs) I wish it were that easy, (laughs) but um So I ended up just choosing what was going to last the longest um, and like look the purest. And so anyway, there was all these elements that went into it that were so much above and beyond what you would ever need to do for a down shooter. 
Um, but ultimately I'm very happy with what he did for me. I think I got that by the end of July. Um, so I got that and that was kind of the moment I was like, wow, I have a studio, like I have How cool. the animation equipment that was hard to get that I can't just like order online and have shipped to me. Like it was something that was so custom that I had to have to animate. Um, so that was very exciting. And then um, it really became about finding the project that allowed me to explore and um, develop my studio. And that was um, my friend's turmeric company, Mount Meru Medicines, my friend Radhika Panda. And I met her through yoga, the yoga community down here years before. And she and I had just like, we'd go to lunch and during all this this year, um, you know, she'd be like, you want to FaceTime? So we'd have a call and eventually I was like, Hey, like you're starting a company. I'm starting a company. Like we could help each other. (laughs) So that was really nice because it was exactly how I envisioned the company starting. Like most people who start a stop motion company, they're working for other studios. They use the other studio spaces if they get freelance projects and they might get an agent or, or manager or something and they're getting projects already. And then they, they form a studio, whether themselves or with other people. Um, so for me being five years out of the industry, being in a whole different town, um, having no one around me who does what I do, nothing already established here, um, wanting to be sustainable, changing how things are done, you know, that, that to me, I set the intention early on to do things my way and to do things differently and to not worry about how that was going to look to other people and not get upset over people's questions. Like I would tell a friend what I was doing and they'd say, Oh, cool. Like how many clients do you have lined up? Mm. (laughs) I'd be like, well, I, I don't because I'm not going to put these people on the hook and then not be able to deliver to them for six months. You know, like it was just very, especially there were just so many delays this year with every step of the process. Like I'd find out I needed a different light and I'd have to wait a week for that light to get here. So, you know, I can't imagine in my head having taken money from someone who was just so excited for this project to be ready and me be like, I need another week. I need another week. I need one more month. Like, you know what I mean? Like that in my head is appalling. So that was, this was a hard year because I was doing my other work. You know, I had to focus on, on my, you know, the writing and jewelry and everything else I was doing also health, because this has been a crazy year for health for everyone in different ways. And then I was also trying to start this up. So, you know, troubleshooting everything from lighting to desk space to materials I'm using to, you know, everything. Basically, in my head, I'm someone who wants to be so prepared, and who will literally just like feel so stressed out if things aren't in order (laughs) before I present it to someone. So in some ways, I had to let go of my perfectionism and accept that, you know, I'm not the best animator in the world. I didn't choose to professionally spend years of my life animating, but I'm in a place in my studio where I'm the animator. It's me, you know? So I'm going to take the time to go slow and do it right. And if I need to redo part of a shot, I will. Um, And that's kind of where, where I started with this first project, because, 
you know, that, that made sense to me. And then, you know, going to my friend, the client and seeing what she thought and, you know, something, you know, I remember this, my first shot I did for her was um, the stencil turmeric powder in the shape of India. And there are these little tiny islands on like the, uh, like the Southwest, wait, Southwest corner. Yeah. Southwest corner. And um, they're so tiny, even on the map, you have to zoom in so far. (laughs) And I showed it to her and she was like, well, the islands are a little too high. (laughs) Oh no. And I was like, wow. I, I don't know. I'm just, can we leave it for now? So I ended up, I slept on it. I woke up. It was the last shot, the last part of the shot. And I realized that I could very easily redo it and then add a transition. So this project was very special because usually by the time you get to animation, you have the storyboards, the animatic the designs, um, illustrated designs, you have the tests, the samples, you've made everything and you, you have the timing figured out, everything's done. Um, what was nice with this project is I still went through that process, but I had wiggle room. So like if I got to a shot and something happened where I'm like, wow, I have 10 seconds of voiceover left and I did not think that through or, oh shoot, like, you know, this character isn't walking properly. What can I have them do? Because they're supposed to be walking and I can't get them to walk. It's a nightmare. So I was able to have that freedom this, this time around to change what I needed to change. And honestly, it opened my eyes to, to how I, how I can do things differently. And I don't have to follow how everyone else is doing things in the industry. And I can do it on my own for a while. And the people who are meant to come to me, they'll find me, which is already happening. And it's like, it's, it's been this really special, like, I think I told you earlier before we started recording, like, I feel like I'm having this return to nature where Mm -hmm. I think we've, our whole world has been in the masculine and in the patriarchal, um, you know, mindset. And I'm someone who can so easily jump on board with that. Like I can stand, you know, face to face with a man, look them in the eye and have, you know, a business conversation with them. And then I can stand face to face with a woman and look her in the eye and have like such a woo woo, like lovely conversation and vice versa, (laughs) men and women. I shouldn't just say men, you know, that way. But my point is, is that I think that our whole world is, is, discovering that you need this balance, this yin and yang, this, um, you know, the, the polar opposites are what make each other up. Right. Like I, um, I just started listening to Alan Watts. I just learned about him. Actually, I was in acupuncture and, um, this man starts talking and it's so lovely and I love everything he's saying. And I, she came back in, I was like, who's that? She's like, you haven't heard of Alan Watts. I was like, oh gosh. (laughs) So I looked him up and he's this, like, I call him a spiritual philosopher. Basically, he's like a speaker who, um, who took like Eastern wisdom and, and turned it in such a way that like a Western audience could understand it. So he has hours of lectures, like hours. And I actually, I'm still just, I'm, my sister and I just got a record player. I'm very excited. I've wanted one for years. Um, And so I've been looking up, I think there's like some vintage Alan Watts, like lecture records. Um, But basically he has a website you can go on that has all of his old 
lectures. I think that all, in total, you can pay like four or $500 for all of them. <laughs> it must, it must benefit something, but I was like, mm, I'm not going to do that right now. But so I actually found, um, I just found one online called like, um, everything by Alan Watts or something. And it's just a bunch of his lectures and something he said, and honestly, I needed to hear it because he kind of breaks down existentialism and makes you feel better about life when you're feeling like, why are we here? Um, but something he said that just really struck me that I felt like was this through line of what I'm trying to do with my studio as well. Um, he said that we, we define ourselves in relation to everything around us and everyone around us. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not defined if I'm not taking into account the floor below me and, and, and you who I'm having a conversation with, I, I'm not, I, if there's not floor and I'm not, I, if there's not you. And it was, he said like our skin, it's not a barrier. It's, it's a barrier, but it's also, it's this bridge. It's this bridge to our environment. So I love that just like struck me, like I think a week or two ago of just like, we, have spent humans. I, my sister corrects me. She says, we don't do anything, <laughs> but I do need to correct myself. Cause I am saying humans in general and, and where we are in modern life. Um, I think that they, <laughs> I should include myself though, because I think I'm getting out of it, but <laughs> kind of like, um, what, what, how do I want to say that? I think, I think we do, we separate from our environment. We, we are, I, and I am I, and, and, and it doesn't matter what's happening over there, what's happening with you or what's happening, you know, a, a million miles away or, you know, and obviously I'm oversimplifying it. Of course, we care, of course, we're empathetic hearing certain stories or you hear your friend talking about something happening in their life or a crazy, terrible, you know, natural disaster, whatever it may be, obviously we're empathetic, but we, we're living a life. I, I told you earlier, like I wake up and I step on my fake wood floor and I look at my fake walls and I go outside to do my compost and I have to go collect, you know, leaves around the neighborhood and I'm stepping on concrete and shoes and to collect leaves to have a compost. And it's like, (laughs) it's just this strange backward way of like, we're trying to fit nature back into our lives when, when we've been the ones who've, who've distanced from it and you don't fit nature back in, you just let nature be. And so I'm having this really crazy, just like renaissance of self this year of just like what I want for my life and my business is to be one with nature and to not be fighting my environment and not be fighting to feel healthy and not be fighting other people who don't agree with what I want. Like there's just so much negativity and so much of this, like this, you know, charged nature (laughs) to use nature another way of like yeah like like we're so far from that harmony of of just coexistence and of accepting that like um there's this amazing documentary on netflix called the biggest little farm (laughs) have you seen that you know what i haven't seen it but i've heard of it it was this husband wife couple who lived in los angeles and the the man was a um he was like a, a, he was like a, I don't know for National Geographic or what, but he had already gone around the world, like shooting nature photography and video. And so they started a farm an hour outside of 
LA and decided to make it regenerative. And the whole video is him, him recording the process of learning how to reconstruct nature, essentially. So, you know, they would make their, um, their crops with like the cover ground cover, no tilling. And then they would put some ducks in the pond and then they would like, they were recreating nature. But what would happen is they would, the ducks would be defecating so much in the pond that they got toxic algae. So then, you know, they would start having these issues of like, well, why is that happening? And and it's this beautiful, this beautiful video and, and film about, showing how nature balances itself and how everything has a purpose. Even like the coyote that was eating their chickens, the coyote actually was eating the gophers off their property. And when they killed the coyote, they got too many gophers. And it's like, we forget, we, we make things other, we make things the enemy and we forget that we're all connected. We forget that everything has a place, but we have made our place so unnatural that we can't, can't accept the natural order anymore. We're so far from it. And we have so many band-aids slapped on band-aids on slapped on band-aids that what are we supposed to do now? So, you know, I'm fascinated by this. It sounds depressing and existential, but this is where we're at and we're stuck here. So we might as well make the best of it. Right. So, you know, my contribution and my step is this studio and it's, it's making art what art should be, which is our, an expression rather than, you know, rather than destroying things for the sake of it, you know, and we're creative beings. I can't remember if it's Elizabeth Gilbert or whoever said like, um, you know, humans are here to create, we create life. (laughs) That's like the highest form of creation. So, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm, I have hope and I'm, I know that, that we can find our way to a better place in many different ways. Um, And I'm not saying I haven't had many down, many down moments about all of it, but, um, but I think I always have that hope to hold on to that, that creativity in itself means, you know, synthesizing information. Where, where are you? Where do you want to be? How do you, how do you get there? And um, we have just all of us, even people who claim they aren't creative have infinite potential to problem solve and get there. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that story so beautifully and just so openly. What a treat, (laughs) (laughs) not just for me, but also for the listeners. And it's interesting hearing you you speak as the Melissa that you are now. You really sound so empowered. And actually, one of the lines that really stood out to me on your, I think it was either on your questionnaire or on your website. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had written, hold on, let me find it. Oh, yeah, I think it was on, on, on your website. You wrote, uh, speaking about yourself, she is happy to have come full circle back at her dream job, but, but on her own terms. And I just, I really hear that in everything you just shared, especially now towards the end of your story, that you're really doing things on your own terms now, which is so beautiful. Thank you. It has been a journey. (laughs) I will not lie. Um, I've, I've done 
many things to get to this point and I have so long, so many more things to do and that to work on in myself. But um, I think it's understanding that that's, that's all a part of it. And that that's, I think I always used to be concerned with the destination and this process has always, has also the, the process of making the studio has made me realize that it's all a process. I'm not trying to get anywhere with it, but where I am right now, which is creating with it. So thank you. That is very, it, 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 makes me happy to hear that you, that you validate what I'm trying to do. I try not to need people to validate me, but, but it's nice. Well, Hey, I mean, we're all humans. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, something else that stood out to me in your, in your questionnaire actually, and also just listening to your story again now is that you shared with me that you, really had to work through this belief of having to be productive and work fast in order to get results. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with and and they're still trying to figure out, like they might realize that that's not the case, that that's not true, but they don't know what another way could look like. So, and I feel like you've found more clarity on that. So if you could share a little bit, bit more about that. I think that'd be really helpful for people listening. Yeah. Um, that as well has been a long journey and I'll I'll say that started many years ago when I actually finally left my, my stop motion job, (laughs) I would get people calling me up for freelance things or, or, you know, one thing it's so funny. One of my dreams was to work for Leica up in Portland, up in Oregon, actually at Hillsboro, I believe, um, which is the big house that's, that makes like all the amazing stop motion features. And I wanted to work there for years and I even applied a few times, but, you know, applying is kind of like a shot in the dark. You go into their portal. And at the end of the day, a lot of this industry is who, you know, and um, I got a random call out of the blue from this girl who had interned for us. Um, who was now in their costume department. And she was like, Hey, I think it was a Facebook message. She's like, Hey, we need some costumers. Like if you want to, basically, if you want the job, like I'll send you the, like, basically I just had to do like a test that showed them I could make costumes (laughs) and then they would take that and be like, okay, great. You're hired. And I had this really strange thing because I was still in this, this Hollywood mode, this productivity mode where I was like, oh my God, that's my dream. I want to go up there. I want to make costumes. I want to have my name in the credits on this big movie. And my sister was like, Melissa. (laughs) She was like, you're tired. You're creatively drained. Like you're going to go back and like, you know, stupidity. The definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And so I actually, I did. I turned that down. I told her, thank you for thinking of me, but you know, I wasn't, I didn't want to go up there. I would have had to commit a year. It would have been, I talked to a friend up there who was, had just gotten up there and was already tired. So I was like, wow, like, uh, you know, I do, I credit my sister a lot in those first couple years of reminding me that I could sit on the couch and do nothing all day and life would go on and I would be okay. And I would, you know, make money still. And (laughs) so it was like, this weird space of just accepting that just because we have a way of doing things that it works for us. We, we, and actually it was no longer serving me and no longer working for me. Um, I had to go through a lot to, you know, like I said, I did a yoga training. I did multiple yoga trainings. I meditate a lot. I, 
Um, I see a lot of spiritual healers and counselors. Um, I've really, uh, I found something called human design, which is like um, a modality of like, um, like taking Eastern energy thought or philosophy and it combines it into um, this blueprint of how you can move through the world and how best to use your energy. And I actually discovered a friend told me, Hey, you should look into this. And there's five types. And the generator is like the type that's productive and that can just the energizer bunny that goes on. And I remember reading it and being like, Oh, that's totally me. And then I did my reading (laughs) and I was the type that called the projector that does not make their own energy, cannot make more energy than they have at the beginning of the day, gets easily burnt out, can only work productively for three hours a day. So, oh my gosh, this is so me. <laughs> oh my God, we'll have to do your human design. But I'm like, it's, I'm one, of my, it's one of my top things I love looking at, but it gives you like a, a type that's like your how you move through the world and it gives you a strategy or authority of like... Um, how you make decisions. And I found out I take a very long time to make decisions and I'm going to feel super excited about something and then change my mind the next day and then feel super upset that I said yes to something and then have to get out of it. And, you know, so it's like, I'm learning how I, how I make decisions. Like I can sit and not know what I want to eat for like three hours. And so now I'll just like pick something on the menu or I just have to have the thing I go to and not care if I actually want it anymore because everyone on the table's ordered and I'm the only one that's like, I'm still deciding between four things. Can you tell me more information? <laughs> so point being is I learned that was actually like a slap in the face. When I learned my energy type, I was like, whoa, like, the, like I, I'm fighting against my being. I'm fighting against who I am and what, like the more I fight, the less I'm going to be aligned to my purpose and the less I'm going to be able to do what I meant to do here. So it, it was, it was eye opening, and it's, it's taken, sometimes I just have to remind myself I'm a projector or sometimes I just do have to sit on the couch and do nothing all day. (laughs) Like I do have to like, can like recondition myself to decondition myself. Like I have to say, Hey, it's okay. Guess what happens if you don't do anything all day? Nothing happens. Like, you know, like I have to like let myself be okay with it and see that it's okay. Um, and, and that's helped a lot, I think. And, you know, there are people, there are people who can be productive till the cows come home. Um, and I think that's great. I think they're here for that and that they're going to find their way through that. But I think a lot of people listening or a lot of people who care about and maybe like perked up to the question you just asked are the ones like you and me who who do need to get out of that mode and accept that it's not them and accept that we don't all have to work, you know, 10 to 12 hour days, five days a week to make money and to, you know, be successful. And that's hard. That's hard for me to swallow. Honestly, I I still have to remind myself of that every day. I still have days I get nervous if I, if I didn't do anything for the day. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm still learning. I'm working on it. But I think the first step in anything, and we learn this in yoga too, like it's awareness. You need to have awareness of your patterns, awareness of where you are, of where you want to be, um, you know, going inward has helped me so much because it's uncomfortable. And, um, 
you know, it, it can be lonely. It can be frustrating. It can be very hard to accept your flaws and accept, or, you know, maybe you don't see them as flaws, but accept the things that you're making your life harder than it has to be. And to say, well, that's where I'm at today. And tomorrow I'm going to take a step. Um, so, so yeah, I think that, that it's all about taking steps. I I've been saying that a lot. It's my theme this year. And I, I know we talked about it earlier before recording, like it's all about steps. It, it is like, I saw this amazing thing on Instagram the other day and it said, um, someone who takes baby steps versus someone who tries to take big steps. And it was two people trying to climb two different ladders. And one person was at the top of their ladder because their rungs were so close together and the person who was trying to take a big step, their ladder rungs were so were, were taller than they were. So they couldn't even take one step on the ladder because they couldn't reach it. And that really resonated. I think I almost sent it to you, actually. <laughs> um, but I... Please send it to me. I want to see it. it. Okay. <laughs> I, um, yeah, it was, it was, a, I, there were like, I feel like I've gone through this interview, like, right before bed, like 10 times already and feel like I had already talked to you. (laughs) Um, I just, I, uh, from your questions, what you said before, like, I was like, wow, I can't wait to have this conversation. Like I have so much to say, which I know we're probably way over an hour already. Um, It's totally fine. And I mean, I'm just getting so excited about everything you're sharing. And yeah, I got so excited when you when you mentioned the baby steps already in your questionnaire, because um, I'm just such a huge, I mean, my entire creativity coaching training is about the power of taking small steps. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's other, there's other pieces to it for sure, but that's the core of the philosophy that I studied. And there's really just so much truth to that as I'm still learning more and more every day. So yeah, I just, I got so excited when you Aww. mentioned the baby steps and, and, and yeah. When you also, yeah. And like when you share that, that's how you, that's how your dream began to manifest yeah. of, of creating your stop motion studio. You know, there was one more really influential moment for me, I think two years ago, it was, it was before, well, no, it was last year or sometime. I, I can't pinpoint it, but I was actually, this is the other thing about me. I can get in my head and think I'm never going to finish anything, which I generally do. But, um, my sprint, I had a time period writing where I was helping my mom write her book and I do some writing coaching. And so I'm like, we'll have to write my own book because people need to see my own book if I'm going to coach people. And which I don't, you know, I don't believe that anymore. I'm, I have a background in film critical studies. I've critiqued and, you know, I, I have so much, so many qualifications for that. And it's like one person tells, you no, and, and you freak out and say, Oh, I'm not qualified, but that's another story. But, um, there was a woman, (laughs) that's such a common limiting belief. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I guess the only thing I haven't finished is the three books I've been in the middle of for four years, but (laughs) whatever, um, one day, there, you know, I think something really interesting about writing for me, just briefly, because I know we didn't even talk about it, but um, that is the only way you get better and build skills in writing is from writing. And I think sometimes we're convinced that the first thing we write needs to be the thing we go and try and publish. But um, for me, I look, I look back on that manuscript and I'm just like, wow, I learned so much 
that makes my writing so much easier today. And I'm so grateful to that, but I don't really want to share that one with the world. It's not, it's not me anymore. And I, and actually that happened with my, with my second manuscript, I got to the end and it had so many issues. And I thought, wow, like, who's this person that wrote this book over the past two years? Like, it's not me. This isn't what I want to share. This isn't what I believe in. These aren't the characters I resonate with. And so that's fascinating is to see that my writing has been an expression of my evolution and that it doesn't have to be put on in a book and printed um, and handed to people to buy for me to feel validated and, and successful as a writer. So that's been hard, honestly, because I think people are still like, weren't you writing a book? <laughs> But um, I do, I'm going to write a book one day, but you know, I started on this path of this studio and I was like, wow, I've never felt more aligned. And I think all those things are going to come together in their own way in the future. But the more I worry about just finishing things that are no longer serving me, the less I can move forward. So that was a big lesson, especially last year, I'd say. Um, But, but this story is really neat. So um my, I got into the art community down here. My grandma loves art and, um, you know, knows a lot of people at the museum down here and, um, in San Diego. And so I started going to some art events, my sister and I, and, um, we met this woman at this holiday party who was so awesome. And, um, uh, she worked for like a gallery downtown or something, but she, a year or two later announced that she was doing an art, an art, like hosting a residency at her house and hosting this artist. And I thought that was so cool. And she's hosted several artists at this point. And I had an interview with her originally for a book I was writing um, to kind of get more to the heart of it. Cause it had to do with art. And I felt like I was getting into like this con artist area rather than like the heart of art. But anyway, point being, I was like, I need to do some interviews. So I interviewed her and I was like, well, how did you start doing your residency? Like what you're doing for artists is amazing. And she said that she actually, same as me, like had this big vision of like, well, if I'm going to have an artist residency, I have to have a big space and buy a new house and, and have a big space for them in a kitchen and a huge workshop and a space to show their work and all this stuff. And she had at the time been helping a an artist um, basically apply for a grant and the artist didn't get it. So she was like, Oh my gosh, that's like, I'm just so bummed for you. Like I wanted to help you out. I was so excited. I believe in you. And I, I really one day hope to host you as my resident. And she was like, well, you have a guest bedroom. You have a shed where I can make art. You have a kitchen I can eat in and you have a backyard where we could show the art. So you have everything you need right now. And it, and so she said, oh, okay, well then you could be my first resident. And that's how she started. And she's still, I think, doing the most out of her home today. And that is what flipped the switch for me too, because I think I was convinced that I had to wait till I had a little money that I could, you know, buy the space and I needed this and that, maybe an investor, I needed you know, to find more people down here first. Like I had all these steps that I felt like that had to happen first. And hearing her story, I was like, I have a garage. (laughs) All I need is a garage. (laughs) Like that's it. So it, it was, it was really amazing to, I think we, 
we're so used to the idea of overnight successes. We're so used to seeing people once they're successful, talk about how they're successful. And we forget like a few people now, since, since I've talked to them about what I'm doing there, they say, well, Apple started in the garage. And it's like, you know, I didn't know that actually until people started telling me that. And it's funny. It's funny to be like, well, people know it. They do know it, but, but they forget when it comes to the standards of yourself and what you want to give to the world or what you want to create. We, we create our own blocks in a way we, we decide what's possible and not in our current reality of, of what we're doing right now. And then we put those, those roadblocks up and then it becomes infinitely harder to take them down. Totally. And actually something just that just came to me as you were speaking, we think we're creating necessary steps that are going to help us get there, but actually they're blocks. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that to myself. So me too. <laughs> and I started to do that with this studio. I did. And, um, for about, I, I told you, I shared that I've, I've seen so many different I've done so many different healing modalities and seen different spiritual healers. And there was one in particular I saw for like six months this year, once a month, I would just check in with her. And I think, you know, I I do think that it's responsible for like how quickly things were able to manifest this year, despite all the delays and everything. I think I had a lot of growth in in letting my blocks go through working with her. And it did get to the point though, where so many things like my foundation started like shaking under me with a lot of personal things in my life this year, um, into the summer. And so I had to stop working with her because (laughs) I was like, I just need a normal month where nothing happens. where like, life is normal and no one gets hurt and no one dies and like, everything's good. So, um, I like, I, I'm, I'm convinced that when we begin to, to do that, to do a lot of work on ourselves and really quickly, especially with the assist from someone who does this for their living and um, is spiritually connected differently than, you know, generally we are in our lives, um, that you can start really clearing quickly and really ascending quickly. And I think that... (laughs) that it's great, but we have to remember that we're still like physical beings and we still like are living in relation to like tables and chairs and, you know, like we need money and we, you know, we need to eat food. And so it's like, it's good to remember that like all that works amazing, but that if you accelerate really quickly, things are going to be like ripped out of your life. So, so that was a good lesson too, of just like understanding how, how much I, how many obstacles I put in front of myself and that the simplest solution is instead of like paying people to clear you and like get through it with other people's assist is to just not put the blocks there in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. And also not forgetting about the power that we have to clear and that we have to ascend ourselves. Um, Yes. I definitely, and I definitely, I've, I've worked with people myself, so I definitely believe there's benefit to that. But I think at the end of the day, we are also our own greatest teachers and coaches. And Absolutely. We need, so. No, you're right. And that's something after working with her, I did get a bit reliant on her. And 
stepping away, you know, I was like, you know, I do have the power for myself and I, I am strong enough to do this on my own. And that was the switch. We talked a little about like self-worth and validation earlier. And that is a huge issue I've dealt with in my life and my, especially with creativity, it's so vulnerable and um, not everybody's going to like what you do. And they're all going to have their own notions for how you should get to the next level or what, what their vision, like I'll get, you know, the such nice intention, someone who says, Oh my gosh, I can see you doing this type of video for this company. And I'm like, thank you so much. Like, I love that you're thinking of that for me, but like, but I'm good. Like, I'm going to figure out what kind of video I want to do, or, you know, I'm going to figure out when it's right for me to reach out to a certain client or, you know, like it's, it's taking the power back in, in every way and accepting that you can take in other people's advice and opinion, but not, not take it in on like a heart level and not on a, on a mind level of letting that cloud, what you need to do for your own manifestation. Yeah. So true. So true. I, I feel like we could still keep on talking about <laughs> so many things. I know there is no right place to pause this conversation. <laughs> I think this is my long. And actually, I know this is my longest interview so far, which is <laughs> awesome. It's really cool. Um, so <laughs> this is going to feel abrupt, but <laughs> um, we're going to wrap up now. Okay. Um, I definitely still want to have time to do your quick fire round. <laughs> sure. Since I know you studied for it. <laughs> we'll see. I, I'll, I'll see what I come up with. Um, but before we do that, I um, still want to ask you where the listeners can go to find out more about you and your work. And I'm also just reminding everybody that this information is going to be in the show notes as well. But just coming from you, where can people go? Yeah. Um, so you can go to um, thesistersbloom.com. Um, and that has most information on it. And um, also on Instagram, I had to kind of choose one social media outlet because they get overwhelming and they don't really resonate. Um, yeah, but no kidding. Instagram makes sense because it's visual and it, it seems like more of an organic connections happen there for me. Um, so my Instagram is at Sisters Bloom Studios. Um, and that is all I'll share because um, I'm focused now on this newest endeavor. And so even though I have other websites and, and other means of getting a hold of me or seeing what I do, that's that's my focus and that's what I'm working on. So I'd appreciate if people check me out there. That's beautiful. Are you ready for the quick fire round? Sure. What is your favorite creativity inspiring snack? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this one is funny because I'm like, well, I should come up with something more original because other people have said this because I listened to some of your other interviews. <laughs> but funnily enough, so I have basically made friends with a kombucha company down here and I see them every Sunday at the market and I love them. One of them has actually helped me make my own. Um, I like making the the honey sister of kombucha, June. Um, and so basically I've noticed, especially while animating, cause you know, it's so tedious for me that, um, I'll notice what I do in the afternoon, <laughs> like after lunch or right before lunch, if I'm kind of powering through before I just eat a late lunch, um, I pour a thing of kombucha 
and I take it down and it's like this sparkly yummy drink that I just sip on like while I animate and it makes me happy and feel like I'm doing something for myself even though I'm working. (laughs) I love that. Do you have a favorite flavor? So I love, they have several and one of theirs is called Cali Gold and it has ginger in it, which I love. Oh, it um, sounds amazing. And no, they have ama- some amazing flavors. And um, Travis, who I see every Sunday at the market, he's their brewmaster and he's always bringing new flavors to the market. But when I make my June, I just do no flavor, be just the green tea, because I'm still kind of learning. And every time it turns out different. And every time I have trouble with like one bottle, super carbonated and one bottle no <laughs> carbonation. So I kind of just like, am taking it slow and letting it be simple, <laughs> but how yeah. cool, how cool. I love that answer. <laughs> um, when is your peak creative time in the morning, afternoon, evening, or at night? So this one's interesting because I'd say I'm a morning person, but as of becoming more spiritual and really having to stay clear in my life and just like functioning. (laughs) I like to have a nice morning ritual now, which I think in its own way is creative and in its own way is productive. Um, But for working creatively, I, I would say late morning to early afternoon is my most productive time. And then by mid to late afternoon, I'm like, okay, what's for dinner? <laughs> like I'm done. So, so I'm working on that. Cause I'm sometimes I have to work through into like, you know, the late afternoon or evening, but, um, but you know, again, projectors have a good three hours and I'd say, my I was going to say <laughs> are like between like 11 to two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is one of my challenges as well. <laughs> Chocolate or coffee? Well, I will say I do love, well, I'm not a coffee person at all. And I also, I'm not a a sugar person at all anymore. So I actually, it's twofold because I actually have tried um, Christina's Papua coffee and I still order it for my parents and it is lovely. It does not make me jittery, but I just don't need coffee. I just don't. It's just, I'm too sensitive So I have to say chocolate and I have to specifically say this chocolate company out of New York called Who Kitchen or Who's Chocolate. (gasps) I love that chocolate. Yeah, because it's oh my gosh. So I can eat it with no problem and I use it in everything. They have these hexagons instead of chocolate chips, and I get so many. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know about those. This is the company that has nut butter in their chocolate as well, right? They do. You know, funnily enough, I only like their salty bar, like the one oh, that has really? salt on it. But my sister and dad have recently loved the almond butter one. So oh my gosh, yeah, they're all good. You can't go wrong. And I, you know, they're a bit pricey, but I think, you know, it's worth it because it should be a like a delicacy in your life and um, what they're doing is just amazing and they give back and they have a space. I don't think it's open, but a space in New York and they have crackers and they have all these things. And they actually, I just got their black Friday deal and they sent a sample of chocolate covered cashews and I ate them oh all in like gosh. two seconds after I opened the box. <laughs> this sounds amazing. <laughs> what kind of music stirs your creativity? Okay, so this is the one that's that's 
a little harder to explain. So I have like my own genre of music that I call lullaby music because oh, no. <laughs> I, no, I don't make it. I, I'm trying to, <laughs> you've I, created your own genre. <laughs> I just pulled from other genres, very specific songs and artists and albums that keep me mellow and in my parasympathetic nervous system. So anything from like classical music to like ohm and like yoga chants to, you know, listening to Alan Watts talk for a while to, you know, I always say it's the Jays, like Jason Mraz, Jack Johnson, Josh Groban, like all, I don't know why it's all the Jays, but like just the people who just, they have lovely voices and they don't have like they don't yell in their songs and it doesn't get peppy and poppy and like, you know what I mean? Like just very mellow, nice, easy listening. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally hear you. And that's interesting. You know, I never thought about that, but I think I like a lot of the J's too. <laughs> oh, there's so many more I could name, but it's just going to oh, get what a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Final question. Oh, oh, I always pick between these two and I'm not sure which. Okay, I'll pick this one. What feeds your creative soul? Oh, I was expecting another question. So that's good. Oh, I tricked you. (laughs) (laughs) This is, see, I'm a studier. I studied all your podcasts and now it doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, What feeds my creative soul? I, oh, there's so many things I could say. I think that, for me, creativity is like, it's literally like what I want to embody every day. And it's something that's been important to me from a young age. And I, I feel like for me, it's about skill building. It's about problem solving. It's about like the creation about tangibly having something in front of you and, and saying like, I made that, I created that. And for me, I always kind of joke because I'm not someone who like, um, I have a yoga client and she's like, her whole family has picked up, um, watercoloring this year. And she's like, I made a painting. And I'm like, well, that's great. I'm so happy that like you can be free and express yourself in that way. And I do think that's creativity. But for me, if I'm thinking about what feeds my creative soul, I can't just like sit down and make a painting and be like, Oh, I just expressed myself. Isn't that great? (laughs) For me, that's not creativity. That's not enough. For me, it's what am I offering the world? What, what can I bear from my soul? What can I put together? What information can I synthesize and create something that is practical? What gift can I wrap? Because I'm going to give it to a friend and they're going to open it and just think it's wrapped so beautifully. Like, what video can I make for someone's company so that people understand their brand better and understand where they come from? Like for me, it's, it's that practical envisioning of, of something that helps people see a different way or use something in a way they never would have used it. Um, You know, that, that, that aspect of my studio, that's innovation. Like that is important to me. I think, Weirdly enough, I, I, I mentioned this on my website, I mentioned it several places, um, that the Sisters Bloom was a domain name I bought with my sister when I was like 
20 years old and trying to like have an online portfolio. And we thought, oh, how funny, like one day, you know, the Brothers Bloom, the movie had just come out. And we said, one day we'll be the Sisters Bloom and have a production company and it'll be great. And so I've sat on that domain name for for 10 or more years. And I was like, oh gosh, do I keep paying for this? Like, or not? And what was so funny is it just kind of organically came together when when I was like, I'm going to have a stop motion studio and I already have a domain name because that, that actually, um, the numerology of that number, um, is a one, which is the number of innovation and pioneering and, um, and independence. So I've always known that I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do them, um, in a way that no one else has done before and show people that they don't have to keep following the system. They don't have to keep following like the way that everyone else has done standard practice is great. It's gotten us to a point. We need it in a lot of ways. Like we need someone to show us how to walk and eat. We, we need the standards, but then we need to transcend them. And so I think that, you know, for me, this studio is feeding my creative soul to, to be able to, you know, have a different day every day to wake up and say, today I'm in research and development. Today I need to find clay that isn't toxic, that's not going to absorb into my skin, clay that I can put in my compost when I'm done with it. Like today I'm making a video for someone and they want it this way. And I don't know, like, you know, if I can do that with what I, you know, want to use versus what everyone else uses. So it's like every day is something new I get to explore. And I guess that's the key exploration of just, you know, innovation, exploration, this combination of problem solving and synthesizing to find a new way and find a way that suits me and create something that I'm proud of and proud to share. And that I feel like is, is um, beneficial in some way to the world or to the person I'm making something for, um, yeah, that's, that's what really was the missing link for me from my early twenties to now was, um, was what service can I give to the world through my creativity, um, rather than like, you know, I'm just going to have like, okay, I'll go give service to the world and then I'll go be creative over there, but they're all going to be separate. Instead, I wanted to find a way to combine that because that is for me, um, what I think is tied into my higher purpose and how I, the reason I'm here is to show people that, that you can, you can do what you want to do with your life. You can, you can find the way that, that you're supposed to do something and know that that's okay for you and, and go that direction. And even though there are hurdles, even though people are going to tell you no, even though they're going to say they'll do it another way, that you can feel good in your creativity and on your path that you're serving people in the way that's best for you.